That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, we got our ashes, maybe. We washed them off, maybe. Mm. And here Speak we are. Speak for yourself. I gave up bathing for Lent. <laughs> you decided to do some real suffering, some real yeah, mortification right. of the flesh. And mm-hmm. I think that means our listeners really need to pray for uh, Melina Smith and your children. Not so mm-hmm. much your um, French bulldog, who finds you yeah. even more attractive than ever. That's right. And we're all doing it together, man. We still have the mark of ash on our head. Looks great. Well, good. Well, congrat- <laughs> yeah, I can, I can tell. Congratulations. Well, so we are now in Lent, uh, not as yeah. we record, but as we uh, prepare to help other people and ourselves <laughs> preach in Lent. This is mm-hmm. uh, the first Sunday in Lent. Uh, this is going to be a, a time of year. Is It's always odd. How, I don't know where, how, how springtimey it feels in New York in um, late February. Uh, I know you can still have some pretty chilly weather, but down here in Texas, yeah. it's like very, like springtime. Our winter is not that severe, of course, and so springtime gets pretty springy. So you're like having these very morose liturgical services, or, or at least heavy um, readings and all that, mm. while outside the tulips are popping and all that. So it's a weird, wow. it's a weird time. I know you uh, may not have. No, it's that. still barren and chilly here right now. Yeah. So, but uh, days are getting longer. You yeah. know, it's no longer dark by like three o'clock. Hey, yeah. let's go have lunch and watch the sunset. <laughs> so. <laughs> those northern latitudes. Well, uh, we are preaching Lent, and we're going to talk about judgment, death, heaven, hell, temptation, Satan, all these fun things for your people. And the readings for this Sunday are Genesis 2, 15 through 17, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So we kind of get a little a little bit of the creation story, but mostly it's the fall. And then we go to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Uh and which uh, the um, persona of Adam will show up again. Mm, and then exciting. we get to Matthew 4, the gospel reading <clears throat> that we always have on the first Sunday in Lent. By the way, not of Lent, but Lent is a season. So it's this first Sunday in Lent always is Matthew uh, 4, the temptation of our Lord Jesucristo. Yeah. And, and where, we see, where we see the second uh, Adam uh, doing his job, and uh, that is redeeming the world. That's right. And by the way, the collects in Lent are fire, as the kids say. Uh, this one being uh-huh. no exception. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. There's a whole theological principle that could be made there. Is that sometimes it's just it like that just smacks me in the face if you stop to think about it for a second. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was led by the Spirit mm-hmm. not to the mall for a huge sale at Forever Twenty One. It was led, I don't know why I thought of that example. I don't think Jesus would shop there. But anyways, it wasn't like he was led to a good thing. It was like he was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. Yeah, no, it's very powerful. And actually, you know, the Greek word for led there that you would see in Matthew 
is the same uh, word that is used um, in the Septuagint um, for Adam and Eve when they are cast out of the Garden of Eden. Mm. So um, it is uh, the, the idea there in Matthew's Gospel is they are trying to connect it. Uh, he's trying to connect it to this great scene that we're about to read when um, when uh, um, Adam and Eve are removed from the garden. Yeah, so for listeners who are not the Bible scholar that Jacob Smith is, the Septuagint was the Greek I translation dabble. of the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, completed about 300 years before the time of Jesus. So um, <coughs> it would have been a text that Jesus likely and his um, That's right. and his disciples would have been familiar with. Certainly Paul That's was. Right. So the Greek word in the Old Testament led here was the same word that the New Testament used to talk about mm-hmm. Jesus being led by the Spirit. So... Uh, and then the request that we make in this collect is come quickly to help us who help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And uh, as you know, the weakness of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. So it's this amazing low anthropology <laughs> picture of the reality of our human life that we are assaulted by temptations. Assaulted, mm. not just occasionally tempted every once in a while by the odd can of Pringles that we find um how did that get on my bedside table? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but we are assaulted by temptations and that we are it's weak. Um, and so it's just to me, yeah, it is very comforting to begin that service. So any 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 clergy that want to kind of expound a little bit on the collect, um, you have my permission. Uh, but we begin, uh, it's not scripture, but it's very, very good. Um, Genesis 2, uh, God putting man, Adam, uh, that's the word in Hebrew, um, uh, in the garden to till it and keep it, and then the Lord God commands him to eat. You can eat everything. It's a buffet. All you can eat except this one tree. Don't touch it, or you'll die. Um, actually, not don't touch it. Don't don't eat it, or you'll die. And then, of course, this story with the serpent, uh, who goes to the woman and asks uh, her some questions to sort of trick her or, or attempt to trick her. Little little twisty with the with. God's words and, and you know the story and they they eat and um, and then they they have their eyes opened and enlightenment seeing is not a good thing here they it, their eyes are open and they know they're naked um, and they they cover themselves uh, with these loincloths with fig leaves and um, there's a there's an attempt to hide shame what would you if you were if I if it was a preach-off, Jake, and you had to preach on this text, what would you say? Well, I would, um, I would talk about um, how God has uh, provided for Adam and Eve in every possible way in this. You know, they were, um, it wasn't like they were being denied something. Mm. They were uh, given every tree of the garden. Uh, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Uh, that's a that's a big deal, and so this is what God has said. Now, this isn't about eating trees, or I mean, eating the fruit from this. This isn't about figs versus apples or whatever it is. This is about what did God actually say? Mm-hmm. Does God speak? And this is the question that is posed to Adam and Eve, and this is the question that is posed to every human being since: Did God really say? And so this this is where uh, the question comes. This is a this is a question of faith. This is a question of faith, and uh, and really, um, does God speak or does He not? And so, of course, um, the serpent being more crafty, 
He begins with that. He says, did God really say you shall eat from any tree in the garden? No, that's not what God said. God said you can eat of all the trees except for this one. But he begins by twisting it and twisting what God actually said. But uh, this is the thing, and uh, this has been the question ever since. And uh, what we see here is that um, as a result, uh, because um, uh, they did not, they heard God, and uh, but did not believe him, yeah, well, uh, they lost righteousness. And uh, in, as a result, they try and cover themselves up with fig trees. Mm. Now, unfortunately, it stops here at verse 7, kind of a happy moment and a very Michelangelo moment where they're just kind of standing on or like a Lucas Cranach, the elder. Standing kind side of by moment. side, yeah, Eve with their flowing side, very, blonde hair. Just kind of, no, but I mean, I think, uh, I think Milton in Paradise Lost articulates it the best. I mean, there is this moment like, Eve's eyes are open, Adam's eyes are open. And the way he describes it is they like go into this like crazy, like they have crazy sex. And then like the eyes of their, they're like the text, open. Not in the text, they're just carry on. They're, but they're like, holy crap. And uh, this is the problem with where this leaves. You've got to go to like verse eight and really like speak into the rest of the chapter because this is the moment where God begins to walk in the cool of the garden. And remember where he's walking in the cool of the garden. And, um, and he asks the question, hey, where are you? Now, um, if you hear this by anything else but faith, you hear it as an accusation. And this is what happens is, is, well, the woman made me do it. The man, the man, the, the snake made me do it. And, you know, the snake didn't have its leg to stand on. And eventually they are cast out of the garden, not because God is angry, but because he's gracious and he's worried that they'll eat of the tree of eternal life and be in his presence in judgment forever. And he covers them with um, animal skin, a sacrifice apart from themselves. So in this is all like loaded with proto-gospel. They're looking for a seed. They're looking for, um, for a new one to come and save them, a new Adam. And so I would like use this as like the beginning of my sermon and move into Romans to expound on how God is going to actually solve it and then how Jesus does. Yeah. Well, I think you're right that this passage really does end too short. It almost, one, one wonders if the lectionary committee left out some more verses because... Um, you know, I, well, I can't attribute any. I don't know. I don't think they're that sinister. I think they're just like, man, that's good enough. But you may, yeah, that's probably right. But what it does, <laughs> it, it could lead one to interpret, yeah. you know, almost as you said, like a happy ending. Oh, their eyes are open. Great. They have wisdom and they got fig now. Leaves on. And now they made some sweet fig clothes, and that's yeah. great. But what happens if and you Eden read on? And had their first fashion week. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and totally locally sourced organic fabrics. Mm -hmm. Uh, completely <clears throat> sustainable, recyclable even. But the thing that um, uh, it doesn't get at, and by the way, fig leaves are large and sort of soft and kind of durable. They're kind of like cardboard of the garden. Anyway, that's why they were chosen. Um, the, um, the thing that it doesn't point out is that the reason they make these loincloths is because there's some shame that has now come upon them and they are not, they're not really that great loincloths. Like a fig leaf would not last that long. Um, ultimately, God comes and makes act, you know, covering out of animal skin, which is the first sacrifice in the Bible. But the um, the the attitude here is best of what really happens is conveyed by a band now Brooklyn based, but originally from Minnesota, called the Hold Steady, which has lots of like 
I think one of their main guys is, or several, maybe all, are very Catholic. So they're like serious Catholic. So lots of redemptive and religious imagery in their songs. And in their album, The Cattle and the Creeping Things, there's a line uh, that says, the dude blamed the chick, the chick blamed the snake. I heard they were both naked when they got busted and things haven't been the same since. And that gets to this falling apart here, which you, if I, if I were preaching this, I would get into the fact that like, we, this passage is ground zero for showing how human beings rationalize the things we want to do that we know we're not supposed to do, the way we um, get, the way we trip all over ourselves and somehow find a way to do what we want to do, and ultimately how it leads to hiding um, and, uh, and isolation. Because Adam and Eve now, there's a break in their own relationship, they're hiding from God, there's fear, <clears throat> there's shame, there's all these things that weren't there before. And so, and I think if you're going to preach on this, it's it's actually really good to do so. It kind of shows you what it is to be a human being. And then um, as we go through, for example, next week, you're going to skip forward like 10 chapters in Genesis and get the um, God's call of Abraham and, and ultimately God's beginning the, the plan to redeem humanity from the break that happens here. That's but, right. Um, if, you, if you preach on this, you have to talk about the fact that it's a break and not that it's like a, somehow a good thing that they, that they ate the fruit. Well, so. But that's why you got to go right into Romans chapter 5, right 12 there. through 19. And so, because then you begin to see, as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all, because all have sinned. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and so you see the ramifications of this. This just, you know, this was like, um, I mean, you know, if you've ever thrown like a big rock into a still pond, and the mm. ripple effects just go and go and go and go. You see what happened in Genesis and how it's affected the whole thing. And so what Paul is saying here is, is that, um, and this is, a, this is a uniquely Christian doctrine, this idea of original sin, that, uh, that um, Adam's sin is imputed to you. And so, but um, at the same time, uh, Christ's righteousness is also by faith imputed to you. You know, uh, and so um, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Mm -hmm. For just as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And um, if I was going to be preaching on that, I would be talking about, you know, the, the idea of this voice. Where are you? And in Adam, that voice comes all sorts of psychological manners, you know, but it always comes as an accusation. You know, where are you in terms of adding up at your job? Where are you in terms of adding up as a husband? Where are you in terms of adding up as an individual? And, uh, but in Christ, righteousness has been imputed to you. That means it's been given to you. It's covered you. And so God sees you as perfectly righteous right now. And so now the voice of God, where are you, is no longer one of an accusatory judge. But in Christ, it's a, the voice of a, a loving father who uh, longs to be connected with you. And, um, and uh, like... Uh, like the patriarchs before us, um, like those of faith before when God calls, where are you? Uh, because you've been made righteous, you can say, here I am. I was talking recently to uh, an undergraduate at a large Christian university in Waco, Texas. I'll let you figure out which one. But there are a lot of people in that university that, like many, many people, not to just pick on where I live in Central Texas, but there are a lot of people around this country and around the world in various flavors of religion that are really 
taught that God is keeping some sort of score of the number of sins you've committed, the level of severity. He's got some sort of um, like graphs and charts that would show how you stack up against other people. And he's sort of always a little bit upset at you. And because as, as Nadia Boltzweber has said, uh, he's, God has this really advanced surveillance system. So he's keeping track. And it sort of has this idea that you're, you know, human beings are born with a clean slate. You know, maybe you have a you know, you're, you're a good kid or whatever, but it doesn't really count. But then you grow up and then it really starts to count and God is keeping track. And this leads to the religious environment that this person was talking about of like, you know, um, how, wh what can I get away with sexually? Like what, what's okay to do? I, I have a, I have, I'm dating somebody and, you know, we're really into each other. Like what is allowed? Where, where's the line? Or in um, all kinds of ways though, like what am I allowed to do in this setting or in that setting? And um, have I had a quiet time today? And did I mean it enough? And was it long enough? And do I know enough of the Bible? And am I dating a person who shares all my same beliefs? And if not, or, you know, all these sorts of things, these rules that we make up for people about whether you're holy enough or not, what you're allowed to watch, what you can listen to. Um, this person I was talking to, it said it like 90s, 80s and 90s purity culture is alive and well. I thought we'd had like all this deconstruction and people weren't doing that anymore, but clearly it's still very much happening. And then you read a passage like this one in Romans 5, I promise I'm getting somewhere with this, where it says that one man's trespass led to condemnation for all. Mm. Meaning, it's not that human beings were born with a blank slate and so we have to like work hard during this life to not add sins to our ledger. Like it's already baked in in some respect that that um, human, humanity is already broken. Uh, and um, the, the idea that you could like do better or worse based on like little decisions about who you date or not date or whether you watch an R-rated movie or like it's it's such small potatoes compared to the real fundamental human problem and um, no amount of accountability partners or journaling um, right. is going to solve this and so what what if you really understand the human problem which is what Genesis gets at and what Romans gets at like we are dead it says that the many died through one man's trespass we're not like again it's 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 not whether you watched the movie or had an impure thought, it's like you are dead. And so we well, need to be this, saved by yeah. something outside of ourselves. And this is the great news, one man's act of righteousness. And it's all these big theological words, righteousness, justification, trespass, condemnation. It seems abstract, but basically it's like, do you believe human beings are, we're sort of born clean slate and we have to try not to do bad things. And if we have, we have to do good things to make them up. But it's like all up to us to try to wipe the slate clean again versus St. Paul saying, no, you're dead. You can't save yourself. It's it's baked into the cake. And thank God for Jesus Christ, who has through yeah. whom grace has abounded, and we are all justified. And so you don't have to live this Christian life of like fear. And am I coloring inside the lines or not? You can live freely in Christ. Amen. Here ended the lesson. Yeah, I mean any any notion of slates or ladders, yeah, you know, shoots and ladders. We're talking slates and ladders. Yeah, you are in the language of the law. And, uh, and that isn't even what the law is, as if, like, even if you would climb it, you could. You, you, if you could climb it, you would. Like, no, it is not. It is a word now that accuses you. Where are you? Or it's a word that says, hey, where are you? You know, um, it is a word that uh, constantly accuses not how far is too far, but that is way too far. Mm -hmm. And you've already screwed up. And let me get at your heart. Or it's a law that brings peace.
It's a law that justifies and it's to be received. And you see, you begin to see, like for the first time, you know, Adam and Eve were trying to be something they weren't. It wasn't on the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. Yeah. And so this is the thing. So much of Christianity is pitched as like, oh, now you're going to be supernatural. And this is nonsense. And what St. Paul is saying is that actually for the first time, take it easy, take a deep breath, be a human. Uh, this is what faith does is it doesn't make us supernatural. For the first time, it makes us normal and, uh, and natural people who are living by faith in what God has said. And what God has said for you is by one man's obedience, the many, which includes you and I, will be made righteous. Uh, in the three days before this service on Ash Wednesday, mm. Uh, if your congregation has attended that service, they will hear the words. Um, I invite you into observance of a Holy Lent by self-examination and repentance. And this is what these readings are about, self-examination and repentance. You are invited yeah. to see that you are not like, you know, a little bit of a project and, and all you need is some like uh, some you know, dusting off and polishing and you'll be fine. It's not this, as you say, wiping the slate clean or climbing a ladder. It's see yourself as someone who is dead, but who has then been raised to new life. It's seeing someone who is uh, like, uh, since Adam, born with this inherent problem, this um, ghost in the machine from the beginning. And so there's a, there's a need for someone to save us and set us free. And the repentance, yes, it could be repenting from some destructive pattern of behavior, but more likely it's repenting from some sort of control um, uh, obsession that you have where you, you have an illusion that you are in control and you can make yourself better. And instead coming to an idea where you depend on Christ. And as Paul says, the free gift that is given to you in Christ, not something you earn, but something that's given to you, abounded to the many. So you don't have to be afraid anymore. Repenting from a fear-based um, faith that is too small and really thinks it's all up to you and going to a place where um, you realize that Christ has, has done it all. So then we come to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus is led or uh, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil himself. And, um, and where he, uh, like, like, the, like, like Moses, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And it was when he was uh, famished, so he's hungry, this is the end of the day, and I know I go about, I go about five hours and I'm ready to like sell my soul for like a slice of pizza. I ate so much but, trail um, mix at around 3.30 today. <laughs> like one <laughs> serving like... is a quarter cup, and I was like, mm -mm, where's my funnel? I just need to get this in me. <laughs> Uh, you know, this looks like a quarter cup, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Two handfuls, but, uh, is that like, a quarter cup? Yeah, I think that's, that's about right. right. It works for me. Uh, you know, a brown butter blonde cookie, that ain't that bad. <laughs> so, but anyway. Flowers from oh, plants, Lord. it's a vegetable. I'm, I, you know, I've been looking at myself in this Zoom call and I am, I definitely need to like cut some things out, shrive some things out of my life for Lent. You look great. So, because I am a little sweaty and I feel like I look like Steve Bannon in this picture, but anyway. <laughs> You don't. I desperately need a haircut, but anyway, uh. I'm falling apart. And so, but, um, so, and this is because I constantly give in to temptation, but he's driven out where he's tempted by the devil. And these temptations are very interesting. Uh, they like tie into uh, the, the Old Testament beautifully. And this is one of the things that Matthew's trying to convey is that here, um, out of the shoot, out of the stump of Jesse shall come a, st a shoot. 
And so, and here comes the new shoot, the, the new Israel out in the wilderness for 40 days. And he's tempted with the same things that Israel has been tempted with in the Old Testament. He's t tested with the same thing Jesus is that you and I are tempted with every day and uh, you and I uh, evidently fail at. Uh, the first is um, our appetites. The second temptation revolves around identity. You know, if there's the word, if you are the son of God, you notice this isn't about action. This is about uh, faith. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then the third thing is, is about uh, glory and essentially um, uh, worship me. Now, oftentimes the way this text is preached is it's texted like, you know, here are three steps for you to resist the devil. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and so the next time, just remember, you're, you know, the devil tempts you with a candy bar. Just say, God, you don't live by bread alone. Hallelujah. And this is all nonsense. This isn't three steps for you. Uh, what this text is really getting at is um, you see the you see Jesus there. And it says the devil finally, when he couldn't get it, left him. And suddenly the angels came and waited on him. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, part of the curse as a result of the fall is that, and we remember this on Ash Wednesday, remember that thou art but dust and unto dust you shall return. This was part of the curse. And if you remember part of the curse for the serpent is that he will go along his belly and what? Dust you shall eat all day long. If you think this is about three steps, three ways to like resist the devil or be a better Christian, and you hear that being preached, you're being preached moralism. And that's not what this text is about. Because before the devil, even on your best day, you are dust and you are snake lunch. Mm. The point of this particular text is not like, here's how I'm going to do it now. It's no, it's for you to fall on your knees and say, finally... Here is the one. This is a theme that runs throughout the book of Genesis as well, beginning of the fall. You know, the seed, um, the offspring. This is what they're looking for, an offspring. Is it finally in? And finally, we have seen, the. we've read about the offspring who has come and uh, will defeat the devil for you and I. And will lives perfectly uh, before his father in heaven lives as an actual truly human being not trying to be something he's not and he lays his life down and because of him uh, you and i are credited as righteous that's mm -hmm. what i think when i read this yeah i think I that's right this text. And, and i'm pretty sure we say the same thing every year on lent one when it comes Absolutely. around is don't I'm make a this trick pony as someone once said yeah don't don't <laughs> make this about how it's not an instruction manual of how to avoid sin um by like using the Bible like a magic book. If I wave my magic wand and just quote these scriptures at the devil, it'll make my problem go away. That is, uh, you know, it's it seems pious because you're quoting the Bible, but it's it's really just like a self, I'm going to control my environment and use the Amen. Bible as a tool for me. Um, you are not Jesus. This is Jesus doing the thing of... Um, uh, saving us here. This is him... Um, uh, fulfilling his righteousness as and his identity as the sinless one so that he can give yeah. us that righteousness as a gift to us. The point of this is is not to to um, to give us a play-by-play -play tips and tricks of how to hack our righteousness. Um, it is it is um, uh, uh, supposed to be showing us what he is doing on our behalf. That's what he's doing. So, yeah. you know, as, as I think about keeping a holy Lent, uh, wh what you do say in Ash Wednesday is that this whole season of Lent is to uh, 
have the whole congregation be put in mind of the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior and the need which all Christians continually have to renew their repentance and faith. So what people should be hearing, even in the season of Lent, is not you're a terrible person, you're a terrible person, you're a terrible person, is you're a human. Let's create a safe space for you to acknowledge and see that reality in the mirror and hear the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel. So in this passage, again, it's it's not about you needing to copy this to make God happy with you so you can avoid temptation. It is an acknowledgement of um, what God has done for you, what Christ has done for you. Um, and uh, and it's, it's a touching, to me, picture. Uh, Jesus, you know, he really is hungry. He really, mm. he really, mm. these are actual temptations. Um, yeah. And uh, here he is, here just he is. a normal dude. <laughs> just a, just normal men to quote. If you want to follow um, a funny Twitter, it's we're just normal men. And it's the same video every Monday. That's all the account does. And it's just some really outtake thing from uh, a BBC kids show that makes me laugh every time. Anyways, yeah, if, nothing if I can say some, just one thing. Please end us on is, a much more significant note than what I just said. Yeah. A holy Lent is possible. Because you are holy. This is what it is when uh, God has imputed his righteousness to you. And, um, and so, uh, did God really say that you, Jesus, has imputed his righteousness to you mm. and covered you and made you the righteousness? Did he really say that? Uh, get it across to your congregation. Yes. Yes, God did. Mm. And it is a holy Lent because you've been made holy. Holy things for holy people, as that says in the old Greek liturgy. So uh, with that being said, um, happy wait, preaching. Wait, wait, wait. I want to say one more thing. Oh. I want to give. Come, you had your no, turn, Aaron. I just had a spirit-inspired thought. I really feel Now, that sounds okay. like I'm tooting my own horn, but I really do. Yeah, thank you, Jake. Okay. This, this Lent one begins with the devil coming into a garden that results in people getting cast out into the desert. And Lent 1 ends with oh, Jesus sweet. beginning in the desert where people have been cast out of the wilderness. Um, he's there as a human being there to the wilderness where Adam and Eve were cast driven to. And there he meets the devil so that he can bring us back into the, the city of God, ultimately, where the river flows. Well, if you remember in John's gospel, when he resurrects from the dead, he's in the garden. Hey-o. Walking in the cool of the morning, yep. the beginning of the new creation, That's- leading us to that city. That's great, Aaron. Way to end it. Thank you. I love it. Yeah, love you All too. Right. Okay, thanks. Inspiring. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.